Well, we are continuing on. We're getting towards the end of chapter 22 of religious worship in the Sabbath day. We are currently expounding two little parts of paragraph 6 of chapter 22, uh, which in many ways are kind of just passed over quickly, and they are by no means the main or even a main burden uh, of this chapter on worship. Nevertheless, private worship in families and secret worship of the individual or what we might call devotions or you know, your quiet time, um, those are mentioned in the confession as parts of religious worship and as parts of our duties. Um, as I've said, these are not the main parts. Uh, this is not the main burden of the chapter. But our forebears saw this and understood all this to be vitally important, um, not just to personal piety, but also to the piety of the churches. They saw there was a connection between a lack of zeal for family worship and private devotions and secret devotions as also being indicative, and in some sense the cause of, a lack of zeal for God's public worship as well. Well, the past two times we've met, um, we've really only considered what the confession calls secret worship, secret worship. This is more or less the Puritan equivalent of what we might call devotions or quiet time today. And the last time especially that we met, I tried in particular to emphasize the need for all members of our household to engage in secret worship, whether believers or not. We looked at ways in which the early Puritans and the early particular Baptists, uh, in which they sought to uh, as they call, as they understood, to train their children in piety, part of which was to train them in the duty of secret worship. Well, today we are going to move on to consider private family worship. We've considered secret, the worship of the individual. Now we move on to when the family gathers as a whole to worship God. What is that supposed to look like? Well, in many ways, it's going to be very similar to other worship in other areas, um, public or even secret worship. It's all worship, and so there's going to be a lot of overlap. And yet family worship has its own unique challenges and goals, so it's fitting that we focus on it for one day to itself. We will, as our guide, continue to use the directory for private worship, directory for private worship that we've looked at before. The directory gives about two paragraphs paragraphs worth of instruction for secret worship of the individual, but really the bulk of it is for family worship and to give guidance, and that's what we will consider today. Well, with that, let's go ahead and I will read from the directory since I'm guessing most folks didn't bring theirs today or some folks are visiting, um, and uh, I will read from it. Uh, beginning in paragraph two of the directory, it says, the ordinary duties comprehended under the exercise of piety, which should be in families, when they are convened to that effect, are these. I'll just pause there briefly. Note that it speaks of the ordinary duties. That's actually going to clue us into the fact that there are extraordinary duties that it talks about later, which we will talk about next week. We didn't have time to really cover it. But these are the ordinary duties. This is kind of the basics of what family worship should have in it. Now, 
I want to say here, <clears throat> interestingly, one thing that the, that the directory does not have listed in family worship is singing. It's not mentioned anywhere in, in the whole directory. I don't want to make too much of that uh, as though they are drawing a hard line and saying singing has no place in family worship, but it is conspicuously missing. Nevertheless, uh, I am very pro-singing in family worship, and there are many accounts of Puritans advocating it as well, um, and so I think it is, it is very fitting to sing. You know, we have all kinds of accounts <clears throat> that we could think of of people singing in praise to God, but it's not a public worship service. Think of Paul and Silas when they're in prison. They're also singing, right? So it's not as though that part of worship is merely limited to the public sphere, even though it's not mentioned here as well. Now, as far as a few guidelines to singing, first, I would encourage you to use, if you can, at least part of the time, the hymnal or the psalter that is used in the local congregation, at your local congregation. This has the added benefit of preparing the child to join in public worship as they grow older. Um, it, you want to make that, that kind of jump to the public worship service a lot easier. Um, <clears throat> I try to, if there's a song that I've been, we've been singing in family worship with Carlos, and I know we're going to close with that song, uh, I'll ask Annika to bring him out of the nursery. So he comes in and sees and goes, oh, I, I see this song, I sing this song too, right? Okay, what they do here is related to what we do at home. And so you're, you're really preparing your children. That's not to say you can't use other songs. Um, that's totally fine. But I would say partly use whatever your local church is using. Furthermore, I would encourage you, at least when the kids are younger, or if there are younger ones in the family, to just take one hymn or psalm a week and sing that every day for the week so they can learn the melody and some of the words. Uh, with Carlos, what we try to do is we will repeat the first verse twice, and that's all we do. So he's learning, okay, this is the first verse, and it's really crazy with kids how quickly it just kind of goes and gets stuck in there. And then maybe on the third day, we'll include the second one, right? And you can do that over time. I know we've done that with Psalm 1 uh, over, over time, such that he knows several verses of that, right? Can't read them, um, but there, there are ways of spoon-feeding more and more uh, than one verse to them as well. Furthermore, when they get older, one way to encourage participation is to ask if there is a particular hymn or psalm that they would like to sing. Um, we're going to see that even the directory, uh, a big part of family worship is everyone participating. And that can be a great way, not just as a gimmick uh, to engage your kids, um, but to involve them in worship and, and make them a part of it. They, they are the worshipers. Um, it's not just dad sitting there kind of talking to people. That being said, singing should be a part of family worship. Furthermore, it's a very helpful tool for teaching your kids scripture and hiding it away in their hearts. It's also a way to teach your kids uh, what I would refer to as the big three. Who can remind me what the big three are? The big three. All your kids should know. What? Ten Commandments, Apostles' Creed, and 
don't make me be like Mo with Curly, like the Lord's Prayer, right? Those are the big three, Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. If you look in the back of our hymnal, those are all in song form. That's a great way to teach your children those things. Now, it's kind of hard because when you try to teach your kids those things, you don't want them to just know it in song form. And when they're in song form, they kind of change the content so that it rhymes and stuff. But that being said, it is a good way of also kind of you know, piggybacking on getting them to also memorize those other things. Furthermore, with very, very little ones, there's nothing wrong at all with singing more kid versions of songs. If there's a kid's worship album that they listen to uh, at other times, I, I think that singing a song from that is, is, is great to, to bring the littlest ones. Oh, wow, I get, we get to sing my little song on my kid's worship CD or something. Um, I think that that's a great way to get them to participate and to bring them into it. All that being said, although singing is not mentioned here, um, what it does start with, though, is very important. It's prayer, but I do think singing is, is a very important part, okay? That being said, the first thing that it mentions is prayer. It continues in paragraph two to describe the ordinary duties of family worship. It says, first, prayer and praises performed with a special reference as well to the public condition of the Kirk of God. Now, this was published in Scotland. So it's the Church of God, right? But the Kirk of God. And this kingdom, or we might say this nation, as to the present case of the family, so if the family's going through some things, and every member thereof, okay? Now, actually, if you go down all the way to paragraph 9 in the directory, it goes into greater detail as to what prayer should look like in family worship. It says, so many as can conceive prayer ought to make use of that gift of God. So right there again, we see that very important principle of family worship, which is participation. If you can conceive of prayer, meaning if you can think of it in your mind and say it with your mouth, you ought to do so as well. I say to fathers, when you lead family worship, you are to lead it. That is specifically your duty. But you don't want to be doing everything. You know, when we talk about public, the public gathering, um, the Puritans and Reformed would typically say that the pastor, the minister, is the mouthpiece of the congregation. The only thing that really the congregation would say is amen at the end of prayers or things like that. That's not how it's supposed to be in family worship. Rather, all are to participate. And again, this is not some kind of gimmick to get kids involved and interested. But that being said, it will get your kids more involved and interested to say, hey, what can we pray for? With Carlos, um, we say, what can we thank God for today, Carlos? What was good that you liked about today? And he'll be like, uh, lollipops. And you're like, okay, yes. Yes, those are good. Uh, okay, what else? And then we try to help him. How about that you got to see your friend, you got to see your grandma today? That was nice, right? Thank God for your grandma. Um, what are some things we can ask God for? And that he does a little bit better, except he thinks exclusively of people's owies. So 
Um, he's like, for uh, the owies? And they're like, okay, we can pray for the owies, right? Um, but, but you're engaging them in it, and you're showing them, you, you too can come to this and participate. And even if a little kid, if all they can give thanks for is like the little things of their life, that's great, right? Let them do that. Show them that, that, that that's perfectly fine. So if a child can pray, they ought to pray in worship and all of them. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out prayer, but everyone ought to pray. It continues, though, albeit those who are rude and weaker may begin at a set form of prayer. Okay? Again, as we talked about last week, I think it's okay to teach your little ones set forms of prayers if they can't quite get the idea of prayer. Um, it's really just a way of catechizing your children in prayer. Um, again, with Carlos, we, we kind of go through those things. I haven't taught him a set form of prayer, um, but I thought, you know, that's something I, I want to be trying to think through. So I started trying to write some, uh, and they rhyme. And, but it's, it's, it's fine to do that with kids, I think, when they're very little um, there can be, you can find prayers for the morning, for the evening, for family worship, all kinds of things like that, okay? However, it gives a warning, but so as they be not sluggish in stirring up in themselves, according to their daily necessities, the spirit of prayer, okay? So it's okay that they use a set form of prayer when they're younger, but they ought not to just stay there. Um, it's okay to have you know, to be, for example, to be catechized. You can know the, the Baptist catechism's answer on justification. Yet if I were to say, well, okay, go, go a little bit deeper. What, what exactly does that mean? And all you can do is kind of just repeat the catechism's answer where you're like, oh, okay, well, let's kind of grow out of that, right? And so you can allow that uh, when they're younger, but you want to, to stir that up in them. It goes on to say, um, to which effect they ought to be more fervent and frequent in secret prayer to God for enabling of their hearts to conceive and their tongues to express convenient desires to God for their family. So again, what it's getting at is you can encourage your children, you know, one way you can grow in prayer is to be sure that you are praying to God on your own in secret worship. And when you do that, it says, um, uh, for enabling of their hearts to conceive and their tongues to express. Um, it's funny how there, there is something about prayer that can be very awkward if you're not used to doing it. Uh, I think I may have even mentioned that I've met people who for them prayer was associated with one language. Uh, I knew a, a Hispanic kid and I said, well, let's pray. And he looked and smiled. He said, I, I don't know how to pray in English. He's like, I'm going to pray in Spanish. Uh, for him, that was the language you prayed in, because that was the language of the home. That's the language he was raised in, right? Well, one way you can grow in that and encourage your children to grow in that is to pray on their own in, in private worship, that's, or uh, secret worship. That's, that's what this is getting at. Really, the concern here goes back to the spiritual, na spiritual nature of worship. As we read back in paragraph 3 of chapter 22, prayer is to be made with the understanding and with faith. And the concern is that if someone 
just relies on set forms of prayer and is never pushing on um, to, to really pray with understanding and with faith, then they're not truly praying with those things, right? So you want to push them. And even when you're, you know, teaching your children to pray, even if they're using a set form, you can tell them, now, you don't want to just say the words, but you want to mean this from the heart. You know, you want to, you want to say this truthfully from the heart with your, with your mind. You want to be focused. You're not just a parrot, you know. You're, you're supposed to be engaged um, in that way as well. <clears throat> All right, it continues. And in the meantime, for their greater encouragement, let these materials of prayer be meditated upon and made use of as follows. Now, what follows are not forms of prayer. They're not like set forms of prayer that were to be used, but they are, as it says, materials of prayer, or really the matter of prayer. What prayers generally consist of, um, and these are to, to help them. And I suppose you could you know, teach a child to read this and then read the truth in it and then actually pray that in their own words, right? Um, but let's see what it says. It says, let them confess to God how unworthy they are to come into his presence and how unfit to worship his majesty and therefore earnestly ask of God the spirit of prayer. Now, how appropriate is that right there to teach your kids even for the act of prayer to seek God's assistance? You can even tell them, you know, I, I understand it can be hard to pray, but even for that, ask God for his assistance, right? You're, you're training them to look to God throughout the whole thing for, for the enabling of them during worship. Next, they are to confess their sins and the sins of the family, accusing, judging, and condemning themselves for them till they bring their souls to some measure of true humiliation, Obviously, if they are believers, they are not to condemn themselves as though they did not have Christ, but still to confess and meditate upon the sinfulness of their own souls, to humble themselves before God, it says, ultimately, until they bring their souls to some measure of true humiliation, right? So there is a purpose in it. Um, so often, our, our confession of sin before the Lord is in many ways not true confession because it lacks remorse. It lacks repentance. We're going to be talking about this actually today. Um, repentance and mourning over, a sin, over sin was a major part of the Day of Atonement. Um, they were not to simply acknowledge what they did wrong, but they were to truly have a, good, uh, a godly grief and not just a godly grief for the sake of godly grief, but one that produced repentance. Paul says, godly grief leads to repentance. And so if there is no true repentance, we must ask, am I truly grieved over my sin? Am I truly grieved over the consequences of my sin? My sin being exposed or actually over sin itself? And if that is not the case, we want to then confess that. And the, the point is really, to bring the soul to a point of, of humbling as well. According to the directory, that's something to pray for, that our hearts might be humbled. Um, you know, I speak, speaking for myself, and we'll talk about this later in worship, I, I have found a dead giveaway for when I have half-hearted repentance. 
You know what it is? I have to keep confessing the same sin (laughs) because I've not repented, right? And I've noticed that sometimes when I'm spending time with the Lord, I have a time of confession and I'll be like, all right, I confess I've been really snippy with my wife lately. And I look in the previous, oh, snippy, snippy, snippy. And it's like, am I really confessing my sin then? No, right? There's no repentance or at least half-hearted repentance. Um, and and um, that is something to confess to the Lord and, and ask. And we can teach our children to ask that as well. Um, Lord, apparently my heart is not getting it. Soften my conscience. Give me a tender conscience as well, okay? Next, it says, they are to pour out their souls to God in the name of Christ by the Spirit for the forgiveness of sins, for grace to repent, to believe, and to live soberly, righteously, and godly, and that they might serve God with joy and delight walking before Him. Let your children cry out for their salvation, you know, I hear, little, I hear stories of Spurgeon when he was a child. He would pray to God. He would rise up early in the morning and pray, Lord, save me. It would glorify your name to save a sinner such as I am, right? Also, it's, it's that God would make them wise and not fools. God, help me to live soberly and, and righteously. Help me to grow up, to not be a fool. Next, it says they are to give thanks to God for his many mercies to his people and to themselves, and especially for his love in Christ and for the light of the gospel. Again, this is a way of training your child to stop and consider the blessings in their life, even of the previous day. What are some things we can give thanks for? You can remind them, what did we pray for yesterday? Well, you were really scared about that thing you had to do at school, and it went fine, right? God helped you, so give thanks for that. You're you're training your children um, to have that motion of giving thanks to God constantly and every day, right? Now, next, um, the directions give, uh, discuss the making of supplications. It says, they are to pray for such particular benefits, spiritual and temporal, as they stand in need of for the time, whether it be morning and evening, as in a lack of health or sickness, prosperity or adversity. Um, it actually says anent health. Uh, I think that's actually an old Scotch-English word, and I, I couldn't find the actual definition of it even on Oxford English Dictionary. Um, but the idea is they are to be praying for everything that they need of, and that's, again, one more thing. If your children are fearful... You know they're stressed out about something, and you say, well, what can we pray for? And they go, oh, I don't know. Well, how about that thing you've been really scared about? How about we take that to the Lord? How about we ask that the Lord would help you with that, right? Let's, let's, let's call, call out to God for these things. Um, yeah, okay. It continues. They ought to pray for the church, the church of Christ in general, so the universal body of Christ, right? For all the Reformed churches, those churches of, uh, those true gospel churches out there, churches of like faith and order, and I would say, especially here, churches within our own association. Um, I think it would be great if every week 
you know, in our families, we remembered one particular church of our association and prayed for them during family worship. Um, it, it goes on to say, and for this church in particular, for sovereign joy for your home church, um, they can pray for the elders and for the deacons, pray, pray for Pastor Ryan that God, God would help him this Sunday to preach, right? Are you bored in church? We'll pray for better sermons, okay? Uh, um, ask God for those things, but you're teaching them to do that. Quote, and for all that suffer for the name of Christ. Think of our missionaries. You can mention our missionary in family worship. Hey, let's pray for them because they're in a hard place right now. They could be arrested. You know, we can gather in our family and worship, but they can't do that over there as freely. Let's pray for him. For all our superiors, the king's majesty, the queen and their children, or for us, the president, his wife, his family. It continues, for the magistrates, ministers, and whole body of the congregation where they are members. So this is assuming that the king of the nation will be going to one particular church and other magistrates will go there, which was pretty common at that time. If there was somewhere the king went, that's where the other officials would go. Um, typically, those would be like the biggest churches because that's you know where the king goes. Um, I don't know that our president goes to church. If he goes to a church, I, it, I don't think it's a true church, right? But we can pray that he would go. <laughs> we can pray for those other, um, not magistrates, but other leaders in Washington, that God would bring conviction to them. If they are believers, people who serve in our government, and they do go to church, um, that God would bless them and, um, and, and challenge them and teach them all those things. Lastly, for supplications, it says, as well as for their neighbors absent in their lawful affairs, as for those that are at home. So neighbors, when they are traveling abroad and at home. And really, the whole purpose of this, this extra part here, I, I do think this is really important in family worship. You know why? Because it makes us take, off of our, take our hearts off of what are my needs for today, what is affecting my family, which is all important. We want to even bring the little things to God in family worship. But it also makes us think of others. It breaks us out of kind of this insular mindset like, okay, this is just the time when we consider ourselves. No, there's a lot to pray for. There's all kinds of ways you could do this. Perhaps on Monday of the week, that's when you pray for um, the universal body of Christ. On Tuesday, for the churches in the association. On Wednesday, for your local church. On Thursday, so on and so forth. And, and really try to bring this into it. Um, you can also tell, and this is a word to you fathers and parents, to do family worship well will probably require some planning. It's probably going to take more time to really do it well. I mean, not just like, you know, by, by the seat of your pants, and, and you can be like, yeah, it was, but to really do it richly where you're teaching all these things to your children, it may mean that you sit down for 10 minutes every week and just kind of do a little bit of planning and thinking. Like we think, oh, I, have, I can't, I have so much on my plate. Like you don't have to write sermons to your kids, but it doesn't take long to come up with a weekly schedule of what you can pray for and things like that, right? Um, but if you want to feed your children, 
fathers especially, you may have to do a little bit of time beforehand. You may want to, if there's a certain passage you're going to read, to read that passage five minutes before the rest of the family comes and meditate in prayer on it. It doesn't have to be a lot. Like, life is busy, we understand. But to truly get something out of this, my challenge to you fathers is you get what you put into it in many things in life. And this is so true here. Um, and, and really, we might be like, oh, I don't have the time for that. And yet, we're, we're so free with our time in other areas, right? Wasting away time. We're just like, like throwing it out the window. Like, oh, I got so much time. I don't You need some time? Here's some time for you. Here's some, right? Five, ten minutes of planning on a Monday, a Sunday? We can do that, right? Lastly, it says, the prayer may be closed. So this time of prayer and family worship with an earnest desire that God may be glorified in the coming of his kingdom and the doing of his will, and with assurance that they themselves are accepted and what they asked according to his will shall be done. Okay? Well, with that, it ends with its directions on prayer. Okay. If we were to flip back now to the top uh, of the directory in paragraph 2, it continues with the next part of the ordinary duties of family worship. It says, next, reading of the scriptures with catechizing in a plain way that the understandings of the simpler may be better enabled to profit under the public ordinances and that they may and they made more capable to understand the scriptures when they are read together with godly conferences tending to the edification of all the members in the most holy faith, and also admonition and rebuke upon just reasons from those who have authority in the family. Now, under this rubric or heading of the reading of scriptures, it really gives us four individual things that kind of all fall under this. It says the reading of scripture, catechizing, godly conferences, which we've talked about before, we'll, we'll expound on that more, and what it calls admonition and rebuke, but we could just say application, right? You're applying the word uh, in there. So reading, catechizing, conferencing, and application. Now, if you look at paragraph three of the directory, it expounds on many of these elements here. It says, so in every family where there is any that can read, the Holy Scriptures should be read ordinarily to the family. Again, notice, just as with prayer or as with singing and picking a hymn or a song, so also if they can read, encourage the children to read, encourage their participation. It may mean you go a little bit slower. That's okay at first when they're young, right? It continues, and it is commendable that thereafter they confer and by way of conference make some good use of what hath been read and heard. Now, way back when, I forget when it was that we did this, we considered the older Puritan practice of what they called godly conference, godly conference. In many ways, it was kind of like a corporate meditation upon Scripture. Um, you would meditate on what has just been read. You would chew on it. Um, it goes on to explain, as, as for example, if any sin be reproved in the word read, use may be made thereof to make all the family circumspect and watchful against the same. 
This is getting to application now. If any judgment be threatened or mentioned to have been inflicted in that portion of Scripture which is read, use may be made to make all the family fear lest the same or a worse judgment befall them unless they beware of the sin that procured it. And finally, if any duty be required or comfort held forth in a promise, use may be made to stir up themselves to employ Christ for strength to enable them for doing the, duty, the commanded duty and to apply the offered comfort. In many ways, what this looks like is kind of like our reading of the law on, on the Lord's Day. When I come, when we come and I, I read the law, um, I don't give a major exposition of it. I maybe make kind of just some brief comments on it, the basic picture of it, and then there's some kind of application of that as well, right? It's kind of what it's going to look like in family worship. Um, you don't have to exposit entirely. Um, you may have to do a little bit of study beforehand, dads. You may have to find uh, a commentary to read through briefly if you have questions, right? But basically, you just kind of want to do what we, what we do in worship during the reading of the law, some kind of commentary, and because of this, we should do that, right? The only difference is, if you're reading a passage of the law in family worship, you do that. But if you're reading a passage of the gospel, well, you expound that, and, and you, you offer that comfort uh, by applying it. It, con- it continues, in all which the master of the family is to have the chief hand. So fathers, especially. I'd say mothers also, if, if the father is sick. Um, but fathers, again, you are to have the chief hand. Um, you are to come with something to bring. Don't expect your little kids to come with their minds. Come, come with the understanding that, that this is really on you. You're going to set the pace, and so come with that understanding of, I'm really, I'm going to at least bring something for them. They may not have any, they may not bring anything to me or contribute to this, but I'm going to have something to, to contribute here, okay? Lastly, it says, and any member of the family may propose a question or doubt for resolution. Now, that particularly is the practice of conference, when they would meditate upon a scripture, uh, the Puritans would do this. Someone would say, I'm confused about what exactly this means here. What, what is the meaning of this phrase? Or sometimes I know this is true, but I struggle with believing that this is true for me, right? Doubts or questions. Um, that is a great way to, for kids to learn. That's a, great, that's a great learning opportunity. And in fact, I would say sometimes... It might seem like a rabbit trail, but you, it may also be a good one to take, and you go, you know what, that's, a, that's an excellent question, and we would be better served today if I just talk about that and really die, go down that rabbit trail, right? There's, there's freedom to do that in family worship, but let your kids ask questions. Let them even confess their doubts and, and try to um, respond and comfort them with Scripture, right? Now, the last thing... Uh, it's not mentioned in this list of things, though it was mentioned earlier, but it is very, very important, nevertheless, is catechizing. Catechizing. And I would say for us today, if there is one area of family worship that we really need to grow in, and I don't just mean sovereign joy, I mean 
even among the Reformed churches today, if there is something that we've kind of lost that was really done at least a lot better in, in previous generations, it is catechizing our children. It takes time. It can be hard. It can seem like a chore, not just for you or for your children, but, but even for you at times. But it is so crucial, brothers and sisters. And I think that lamentably, many of the children in our churches are really, really under-catechized, and some are wholly uncategized in many ways. Now here, I don't want to beat parents. Uh, I don't want to beat them. Maybe they already feel, <laughs> before we got here, you're like, man, I'm already not doing enough, and now I'm like, and boom, you really suck, right? Because you don't catechize. Um, I don't want to beat you down. I really want to encourage you and challenge you, but I do want to impress upon you the importance of catechizing your children. And I have here a few quotes from William Gouge. William Gouge. Um, he wrote many things, but he also wrote an excellent, massive book called Of Domestical Duties, or really, The Duties of Each Family Member of a Home. Uh, it deals with the duties of father, father to children, father to wife, um, children to father, children to mother. It's, it's very thorough, but it's also really, really good. He has a section, however, in which he talks about parents um, teaching their children piety, I think is what he calls it. And he has a section about catechizing, and I want to really read some of it to you because it's as good as it is challenging, okay? The first part is challenging. So uh, this is what he says. So far are many from catechizing their children, and that daily, as they teach them not so much as the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, and the Ten Commandments, wherein the papists shall rise up in judgment against them, that are very diligent in teaching their children the Our Father, and the Hail Mary, and such other like Latin principles as the children cannot possibly understand, right? That's true. If we were to go to a Muslim household, it might be very sad that a lot of those children have a lot more things memorized and obviously not truth, right? But they may rise up in judgment against us. Papists, of course, as it says here, teaching the Our Father and the Hail Mary, they do that. We don't even as much as teach our children the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, and the Ten Commandments. Here again, you might think, well, I, I can't expect my kids to know by heart all 150 questions or however so many questions are in the Baptist Catechism. Okay, but can they tell you the Ten Commandments? Do your children even know the Lord's Prayer? Do you even know the Ten Commandments? Do you know the Apostles' Creed? Those three are virtually in every young children's reader of that age, I would say. That's why I call them the big three. And if we look at any big Reformed catechism of that time, they all more or less exposit those. The Baptist Catechism has the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments, um, and then the Heidelberg Catechism has the Apostles' Creed in it as well, right? Those were huge parts of, of doing that. Um, now, before you think that that's just so much work, um, 
Think of how many other things you learned as a kid just effortlessly. Think of all the other things your, your kids memorize in other areas of their life. Um, I don't know, sports things, uh, all kinds of whatever like nerdy game things they're into online or something like that. Song lyrics, right? It's not, for, it's not, because, it's not because they can't do it, and it's not because they don't have the space. They've just not been catechized. Put that in their brains, right? Put that in their brains. Gouge continues. Let children be catechized constantly from day to day. Rehearse them continually unto thy children, saith the law. That which is daily done is in Scripture said to be done continually, as the sacrifice which was daily offered was called a continual sacrifice, right? This is something to be doing, to be doing daily. He continues, Here let this caveat be noted, that in giving this spiritual food, parents deal with their children as skillful nurses and mothers do in feeding infants. They will not at once cram more into their mouths than their stomach is able to digest, but they will rather oft feed them with a little. So it is not meat that parents be too tedious, that will but dull a child's understanding and breathe wearisomeness and make it loath, make them loath to be again instructed, right? So what I'm not saying is like, you have to sit with your kids and they are gonna, they are gonna learn the catechism no matter what. Like you can't do that. You can't get up and play, right, until you do. Um, well, kind of, yes, a little bit and, and no. There's this balance. There's a balance between correcting bad behavior and saying, no, no, you're going to sit up. We do that with Carlos. He's like, I will sprawl all everywhere. And you're like, no, you're going to sit up straight. You're going to listen. This is important. We're talking about the Word of God, right? You want to correct that. On the other hand, you don't want to make it, as, as he says, you don't want it to breed wearisomeness, Right? Um, so don't do too much. Don't do more than they are able. Um, this is true of family worship in general, but especially in catechizing. Take each child on an individual basis. You didn't learn the whole Christian faith overnight, um, and, and it will take your children uh, time as well. And I would say the best way to teach is just doing a little and doing it regularly. That's, that's the best way to do it. Don't stress about you need to learn three new questions each week. Man, if they learn one question each week, that's great. But as long as you're doing it every day and then you move on to another one, that's, that's great. Do it bite-sized, but do it regularly, okay? Gouge continues, Thus, they shall learn with ease and delight. And this being often performed, in time a great measure of knowledge will be gained thereby. If a vessel have a little mouth, we, we do not fill it by pouring whole pailfuls upon it, or so all may be spilt, and it receive little or nothing. But we let the liquid fall in little by little, according to the capacity of the mouth. So is nothing lost and the vessel filled with sooner. Thus are children to be dealt with. Don't try to learn the whole catechism overnight. May not even be able to do it in a whole year, right? 
Go little, go slow, but do it regularly. And as he says, they will learn with ease and delight, right? Now, lastly, uh, one more thing. We've kind of just touched on this, um, but it is, it is good to talk about here. Um, the directory actually has a paragraph about behavior during family worship, and this is where it's, it's very practical, and this is a big challenge, I think, for, for kids as well. This is a big challenge of family worship. Um, when, when I, you know, we weren't, Annika and I weren't doing, this is on me, we weren't doing it super regularly, because it's like, well, they don't even speak English yet, right? So, <laughs> but now it's like, okay, we really need to start doing this. And at first, you know what Carlos would say? I don't want to do family worship, like every week, right? But we kept doing it, and now he goes like, okay, this is going to happen, right? But there's little things like that that maybe you need to correct, and we would say, no, this is important. This, we're going to worship God, right? Um, and so behavior can be a big part of this. It says in paragraph four, the head of the family is to take care that none of the family withdraw himself from any part of family worship and seeing the ordinary performance of all the parts of family worship belongeth properly to the head of the family, the minister is to stir up such as are lazy and train up such as are weak to a fitness in these exercises. So you're to encourage them. And, and this is where you're going to need a lot of wisdom and balance and help from the Lord. Um, there's going to be times when you have to pick your battles. There's times where like, Carlos has not had any food, and he is just having a crazy day. He's not been sleeping well. Maybe he's feeling sick. I am not going to be like, all right, no. you know, in what covenant did God enter? In? Like, you, it's like, okay, the kid is sick. Let's just do a simple prayer, right? Um, you need balance to know how to do that. Nevertheless, we do want to inculcate the seriousness of what it is we're doing. This is not just a fun time, although it can be fun. It's a time for reverence. It's a time for worshiping God, um, and, and you want to encourage them, right? Um, I, think, I think ultimately probably your best bet, and again, you're like, okay, Pastor Ryan, you've been doing this for like five seconds now, right? You have like only one kid. I get it. I, okay, that's fair, right? But as I think about this, I think probably your best bet at dealing with bad attitudes in family worship is consistency. Consistency. If those kids know this thing is going to happen, like you can't work your way out of this. This is going to happen. And they develop that understanding, no, every day at this time this is going to happen, they're not going to be shocked. And eventually they'll be okay with it, right? Um, I can notice, I can see in Carlos, if we've missed a few days for whatever reason, okay, let's do family worship. There's more of a, I don't want to do that because he's used to just having fun and being in the flesh, right? Um, but consistency, I think, with just a little bit each day is probably your best bet um, in really creating that, you know, I hate saying things like this, but a culture of family worship within your family, really, Okay. Furthermore, doing all those things yourself with a good attitude, making sure that you yourself are worshiping the Lord, loving God, that there is a reverence in your own heart as you do it, um, that goes a long way. I, I've heard stories of Joel Beakey saying he was so impacted as a little kid seeing his father read from Pilgrim's Progress 
with tears coming down his eyes. I just, oh, make sure, you know, parents, <laughs> and you can be all frustrated like, oh, these kids are doing that, right? Make sure you yourself worship God. <laughs> you yourself come with reverence and joy into the presence of the Lord. That will probably do a whole lot more than you being the drill sergeant, right? Although, as I said, there's a place for that a little bit. Um, but be sure that you yourself are leading by example, okay? Well, according to the, to the directory, those are the main duties. We could say then family worship um, is going to have singing, prayer, and the reading of the word, discussing, discussing it along with catechizing. There are great tools in learning how to do it. Start off small. Like I said, um, just as your children will not learn the whole catechism overnight, you are not going to go from like zero to a hundred in terms of consistency of leading family worship and all those things. But just as you, you focus on just a little bit and consistency, work on that on yourself. And you will see, you will see that trickle down as well. Okay? Now that's it for today. Do we have any questions on family worship? I, I remember hearing a long time ago that, well, because it was a duty of pastors often to catechize children. But a lot of times during pastoral visitations, the pastors would see if the children knew their catechism. Um, and, you know, what if we did that? How would you be doing in that, right? So be encouraged, catechize your children. And uh, the Lord, it, it will not be without benefit, even for yourself, okay? All right, you guys are